Isaiah 54. So you had the, the incredible opportunity last time to go through Isaiah 53, the end of 52 with Jason, um, and see the picture of the servant of the Lord, which obviously when we go to Isaiah 53, it's not hard to see who that is, right? Isaiah 53 is a very clear representation of Jesus Christ. His substitutionary sacrifice, which um, makes a way for all believers. And in chapter 54 and 55, we're we're probably only going to get through 54 tonight. But in 54 and 55, we're going to see immediately following that representation of, of God pouring out His wrath upon His Son we're going to immediately see an invitation to salvation. So that's 54 and and 55. And there's some really incredible pictures that we want to be able to draw out of the text. You have in these next two chapters uh, a lyrical, poetic announcement of salvation and a call to participate and rejoice in it. So you have in 53 the work of salvation. So we're, we're getting to, in Isaiah, the point of Isaiah where he's answering the question we began with. How does this Israel become that Israel? Right? How does this Jackie become that Jackie? How do we get from who we know we are to who we need to be in Christ? How, how do we do that? How do I become? I can see very clearly, right, in Scripture, God's requirement and my... Failure to meet it. So what do I do? Well, Jesus Christ came to be the substitutionary atonement for for you and I. He bore the wrath. That's why in Thessalonians, that a very important scripture that we know, right, that, that lays out for us that we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain what? Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So, wrath of God, we will, the believing body, the church, uh, all believers that are uh, believers uh, in Jesus Christ for salvation, will not ever have to fear the wrath of God. That doesn't mean tornadoes don't hit you. It doesn't mean earthquakes don't happen. It doesn't mean bad things in a fallen world won't occur. It means that God's wrath won't be poured upon you. Because you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, right? You're covered in Him. And what we want to understand in that, when we look at the picture of Isaiah 53, and we want to understand the concept of substitutionary atonement, then we need to to look back in the beginning. Because we go back in the beginning, and we look at Joshua, and we look at Rahab. Right? And Rahab was made a promise by the soldiers. You remember? She, she was told by the soldiers, everyone who comes in your house will be, what was it? Saved. Now, Rahab, she, she was good, right? She, and we see, we'll see this exact picture in the plan of salvation. We're going to see God as we work our way uh, through the gospel. So many of them you've been, been through with me. Jesus very particularly chose 12 guys, right? And these 12 disciples, they're going to, to be saved. They're going to be filled with the Spirit. And they're going to go out. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for the ones who will believe because of their testimony. Right? So in, the, in, in similar fashion, we look and we see this, this beautiful picture of the provision made by Jesus Christ. And all who will come into Christ. Just like every part, every person who entered into Rahab's house, was saved. Every person who comes in Christ is saved. We're covered from the wrath of God. Where the rest of the world is still under wrath. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that we're children of wrath, storing up wrath for the day of the Lord. That means payday someday, right? Just because God didn't judge today doesn't mean God won't judge, right? There will be a judgment. But there has also been a provision through which we don't enter into judgment. And that provision is Jesus Christ. The servant of the Lord spoken of Isaiah 53. 
And now the call immediately afterwards is to say, hey, come, come. Here's the provision. Provision's been made. The, the apostles were chosen. The apostles were sent forth. The word went out. And what was the invitation? Whosoever will, right? Whosoever will, come. The invitation goes forward. So we see that. So as we look at chapter 54, what we're going to see here is this stress on the wonder of God's love for his people. Because there's all these things that, that we forget, right? When we, especially when we go to the Old Testament. Because we go to the Old Testament and we read something like Isaiah or Jeremiah. And we see judgment, 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 judgment. And, 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 and we get the idea, man, all there is is judgment. That's not true. You're removed from the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of grace. What you're hearing about is God reaching the end where he needs to course correct. If he doesn't course correct, his people will perish. You guys understand what I mean? Like, you ever gone so far away from the Lord that, that God has course corrected you? You get somewhere down the road somewhere and you... And, and you don't even, you maybe you even go, I don't know how I got here. Or, you know, I made a series of choices, obviously, to get here. But when I'm there and, and God's two by four comes out, anybody ever met it? If you haven't, you will. <laughs> if you run, if you find yourself, God, God is, so when we read the prophets, we want to see God's course correcting his people. So that they don't, that's mercy. That's not, we, we confuse it because we're seeing, this judgmental thing from the Lord, but what the Lord is doing is course correcting his people, getting them back on track. Otherwise, they're all lost. They're all gone. And he loves his people too much. And so we're going to see the wonder of God's love. How far does the wonder of God's love go? In Isaiah 53, he's describing what's going to happen to his son. Right, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His monogamous, His one and only Son. Nothing, there's, there's no other person in all of the cosmos like Jesus is to God the Father. You and I, we, even the relationship we have with our children pales in comparison. And He gave Him to bear his wrath for us. Because we can't become the people we need to become unless we can be forgiven and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Short of that, will, you ever tried to do something and failed over and over and over again? Uh, I had a, a very interesting conversation today. One of the beauties of being in ministry is you never really know what the next day is going to hold. So we ran into a guy who, who is, whose desire, professed desire at least, is to change. But I've known him for 10 years. And, you know, drugs have been a hard thing for him for 10 years. And mostly that's what he's chosen for 10 years, right? So I'm thinking, how does this guy become the guy he wants to be? There's only one way. When, when, when uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus said, Don't marvel. You must be born again. The only way this person who wants deliverance becomes that person is that he's born spiritually through Jesus Christ. We surrender, right? We're covered by his blood from the wrath of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit for living. That's how we change. Shy of that, you elect whoever you want to elect, do whatever you want to do, pass whatever laws you want to pass. But until a man is born again, he doesn't change. He struggles. He may want to. He may even do good things. But he'll find himself still under the wrath of God. So God so loved the world. He gave his monogamous one and only. There's no other thing, person, place, or thing like Jesus. He's the only Jesus in all of the universe. And the Father gave him 
That's pretty amazing. When you look at the things that he went through, right, to, to accomplish that substitutionary atonement for us, it's just a great picture of God's love. So here we have Isaiah talking about this love. And, and you're going to hear things where God says, I, I, my anger is only for a moment. My anger is only for a moment. My anger is only for a moment. Joy comes in the morning, right? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? And so when we look at that, what I want you to really reflect on is really God's anger was satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why he can say my anger is only for a moment. Now, when you sit down and talk with Jesus about it, he may have a different opinion about it, right? But... <clears throat> God says it was for a moment. It's for, it's for this period. And I poured out that because there had to be justice for sin. There had to be, someone has to pay. And I want to, I want to save. I want to redeem. And all you can do is pay your own debt. And, and then you cease to exist. So it doesn't help. So. He sent his son, the servant of the Lord, who bore the wrath of God on the cross for you and I. So we can experience what he's going to discuss in 54 and 55. That's why 54 and 55 is, is a, a challenge. It's like, hey, come, come. When we get to 55, ho, oh, come all you who are thirsty. Anybody in here ever been thirsty before? So that pretty much covers everybody, doesn't it? Do you know anybody who's never been thirsty? Oh, come, all who are thirsty. Why? Because the Lord can give us drink. So let's take a look. Isaiah 54, verse 1, starts with this depiction of the everlasting love of God for his people. In, even in light of all the other things we've seen, the judgment, God telling us, teaching his people to trust him, that they can trust and put their hope in him, that, that he has a plan and a purpose, which we saw last time prophetically in 53. Now, now he's saying, let me, let me express to you my everlasting love because I'm going to restore my wife. In the Old Testament, the wife of God is Israel. And Israel's been forsaken. Israel's been exiled. Israel's been released. And God's declaration is, I'm going to redeem her. It's the story of Hosea. Right? Hosea and Gomer. Hosea, go down and marry a prostitute. Seems like a bad idea, right? You think you're going to have marriage problems. Well, he did. She left, right? But what did God tell Hosea? You're a living illustration of my relationship with Israel. So now, go redeem your wife. It wasn't to find a reason to, to cast her off. It was to find, it was to illustrate God's redemption. And that's what he's talking about here. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth in the singing and cry aloud. You who have been in labor for the children of the desolate will be more than the children of her who is married. What's he talking about? Well, he's painting an illustration. Okay, the illustration is an illustration of shame. <clears throat> In the ancient world, still today, there's a picture of shame over a woman who cannot bear children. Right? And so God uses this illustration. What's he saying? He's telling the one who has not had children, sing Break forth into singing, cry aloud. <clears throat> Why? Because God is able. God is able to make you fruitful. That's why, you ever wonder why in the Bible you have so many women who began barren and then God enters into their life, they have a child, that child becomes a child of promise leading to Christ? Because over and over again, God is illustrating this reality. The reality is that God is able even though perhaps you're, you're spiritually barren and unproductive because of your unbelief, when you trust God, you become productive. You become, uh, you experience the power of God and the fruitfulness of God. Even when you look around and you see other people who don't have God who have been fruitful, in the Lord you can find this release, this redemption, this restoration 
the shame is passed away. You'll see it here. For the children of the desolate one, the one who was barren, will be more than the children of the one who was married. The children of the woman who was hated. The children of the woman who was cast off. The children of the woman who was barren. The children of the woman who was left out into the desert. The Lord says she's going to have more than the one who is married. Because she's going to be redeemed. She's going to be restored. Look at verse 2. She's, he's telling this woman, enlarge the place of your tent. <clears throat> now he's telling her before she has any kids. Before anything's happened, he's saying, he's, he's saying you, you, you're going to need a bigger tent. Well, uh, I don't have any kids. I don't need a big tent. Nope. Enlarge your tent. Enlarge your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen the cords and strengthen your stakes. He's saying you're going to be enlarged. You're going to be established. You're going to be expanded. Look, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. You're going to encompass the world. This barren woman. The barren woman is Israel. Israel that's been cast off. Israel that's been exiled. Israel that's left, you know, she, just like the picture of Hosea, right? She's been a prostitute. Ezekiel chapter 16, read it. It's God saying to the nation of Israel, you know what? You've been an unfaithful wife. And, and so I'm, I, I take my hands off. And here God says, but I'm redeeming. How are you going to redeem this broken woman, this picture of a nation, right, that won't be faithful to her God? How are you going to redeem her? I'm going to redeem her through my son. He's going to bear your iniquity. He's going to make a way. So in 54, immediately after that, he's saying, so sing. Sing, because this sacrifice is going to redeem you. This sacrifice will restore you. The Bible tells us in Daniel, right? We have this picture of a statue. You guys remember the story of the statue that is a, an example of all the kingdoms of men. Right? It goes through the four main kingdoms, but it, you put, put every kingdom on that statue. What happens to every kingdom of man? It falls. Right? But there will be a kingdom that never falls. You remember at the end of the dream, what happens? A stone, not cut out with hands, comes from the heavens, hits the statue in the feet, blows it up. All the kingdoms of men destroyed. And then that little stone grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. Mountains are a picture of kingdoms. So he's saying the kingdom of God will not end. This stone that the builders rejected... This one is coming. He's, his kingdom will be eternal. Man's kingdom will not be eternal. So we have this picture, right? That Daniel, this, this occurring, this happening, this taking place. And that is accomplished by the sacrifice of Isaiah 53. That's the stone. Destroying the kingdoms of men. They just don't know it yet. And he has made a way. For the broken me to become the whole me. For the broken you to become the whole you. Not because you self-willed, but because you surrender to Christ and He empowers you by the Spirit. Just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember the coal touched his lips. Your sins are purged. You're forgiven. Now be empowered by God's Spirit and go. That's the same thing that's accomplished in 53 and is celebrated in 54. So he says, celebrate because you're going to become the kingdom that fills the whole earth. Make your tent bigger. You look around the world today and everybody hates Christian. But God's word declares that that kingdom is going to swallow the earth. Now maybe that happens when Jesus comes back. Maybe we see some of it in our time. I don't know. But I do know this. It will happen. God has decreed. It will take place. And so what does he tell the woman? Make a bigger tent. Make a, you're going to need more room. 
You're going to need more room for the people who are going to get saved. You're going to need more room for the people who are going to enter in. Your family is going to be bigger than you ever imagined. This is what God is promising. Verse 4, he says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Don't be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. Look, the woman who was childless had the most disgrace of, of anybody. If you read about Hannah in, uh, in, in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 1 and 2, you, you'll read about Hannah, right? Hannah's the mother of Samuel. You remember Samuel? She gives him to the temple of the Lord, will let me have a child. Why are there so many of those stories in the scripture? Because they illustrate the reality that apart from the Lord, we're a barren woman who cannot conceive child, who has no hope in the future because she has no family. But she does have a family in the Lord. Through, through the Lord, she does have, she does, whether she ever has children of her own is not the point. The point is, she has family. She becomes a part of the family of God. And so we, we have this illustration, the point. Don't be afraid. You won't be ashamed. You won't be confounded. You will not be disgraced. But you see, so often historically, that was the, that is the path that we walk. Think of the mother of Jesus. How long was she disgraced? Or ashamed. How long did people say ah, she thinks she had the Messiah, but you know she really just cheated on her husband, got pregnant? Come on, people aren't different, right? She longed for the vindication, but Jesus denied her vindication on earth. But what did what does he say? He says you're you're blessed among women. There's no woman greater, more blessed than you. You won't be disgraced or ashamed. You may go through difficulty now. But sorrow comes at night. But joy when? It's temporary. All that's temporary. You won't, you won't be ashamed. Trust me. Trust me, the children of Israel, when they, when they went through the illustration that God gives in Isaiah with Shennacherib, remember the Assyrians coming and, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We got to do something, right? We got to do something. We got to, we got to plan a, a, a way of attack. I don't know how we're going to beat this army's big. We don't have enough people. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And all the while, God is saying, trust me. I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. Now, it didn't, it didn't remove their fear, their trepidation, their struggle, right? That, that was all real. But on the day that God delivered them, it just happened overnight. They were delivered. And the point that God is telling us is the same. When the disciples fought all night long in a boat to paddle to the other side. You remember? Jesus said, go to the other side. He went away to pray. They're paddling all night, all night long they're paddling. And all of a sudden they... They look up and they think they see a ghost coming to them on the water. It was Jesus. Why did they paddle all night? Why did they keep struggling at the oars? Why didn't they just give up? Because earlier when there was a storm, and they came to him and said, Lord, we're perishing. What did Jesus do? Peace be still. And in an instant, it was over. So the next time, what do they do? They keep paddling. Why? Because they learned one thing. What's that? At any moment, Jesus can say, Peace, be still. I, we trust him. He told us, go to the other side. We're going to get there. We just got to keep, we just got to trust. We just got to hope. We're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be discouraged. We don't have to worry, even though life may be difficult. We will, listen to this, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Man, I, I like it because it reminds me of no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. When he says you're going to forget, it's like you, you, you're not going to live there anymore. How many of us live with regret? I, I don't know about you guys, but regret is a daily caller to me. 
I'm an old man. My kids are all grown. And there's a lot of things I regret daily. Things I wish I'd have done different. But we don't get to go back, right? We get one pass. But I know one day I'm not going to live with regret anymore. All the past I'm going to be able to let go of. Because I'm going to be in the presence of the king. And it just all falls away. It all falls away. All fear. All, all worry. All concern. Why? Why does all that happen? The forgetting of our shame and reproach? Because we'll be in the compassion of the Lord. Listen. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Man, that's pretty amazing. For your maker. Now he's talking to Israel. Your maker is your husband. God is your... What, what, what was it that a husband did? A husband was the protector, the provider, the covering, right? That was, that was his role. So what is he saying? That's what God is to you, Israel. Protector, provider, he's your covering. He's, he's everything that you need. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. How did he, how did he redeem them? Isaiah 53. That's the redemption of the Lord. And he's the God of the whole cosmos. Not just Israel. Don't miss that. It's not just the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of Sabaoth. Yahweh Sabaoth. It's, he's saying you're the God of the cosmos. Of it all. Every star. Everything. Everywhere. It's all his. He made it. He is the God of it all. He is the God of it all. He is your Redeemer. He is your husband. But there's a paradox in the compassion of God, right? That, that though God has this incredible compassion, this incredible love, there, there are other things that we see in it. Look at verse 6. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. If you remember earlier, she's cast out. Why? Unfaithfulness. Right? So we don't want to miss the illustration. What's the illustration? The illustration is of an unfaithful wife who's put away because she won't be faithful to her husband. The husband is God. The wife is Israel. So he says, you were, you were like a, a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. That's her condition, right? She's been cast off, forsaken, and grieved. But then look what it says. For a brief moment, I... What does it say? I deserted you for a brief moment, but with great compassion I will gather you. God's anger is for a moment. His love, everlasting. His anger for a moment, for a brief moment. What's that mean? That what's being illustrated is God's anger was temporary, is temporary. God's love is eternal. With great compassion I will gather you. He's, he's, he's giving a comparison between the moment of d- desertion because of her unfaithfulness and God welcoming her back. Now, how is it that God's going to welcome her back for her unfaithfulness? How? Isaiah 53. Her sins are covered by His blood. So, in a moment... In time, God is able to accomplish for Israel what he did for Isaiah when he touched his lips with a coal. In a moment in time, God is able to accomplish for you and I what he did for Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. In a moment in time, he purged our sin. His compassion now is to gather In verse 8 he says, In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Yahweh your Redeemer. So he's saying, look, this, this, this separation, that's temporary. That doesn't have to be forever. You get to choose that part, Right? Go back to Rahab's house. Did everybody in Jericho go into Rahab's house? Nope. Did some? I think so. I don't know for certain, but it certainly was available, wasn't it? For who 
whoever would come. You don't think Rahab asked her neighbors? Now we know, we go back in Genesis a little further, we come to a guy named Noah. You remember Noah? He built an ark, right? There was judgment coming on the earth. Noah preached 120 years, right? He was a preacher of righteousness. Um, could anybody else have got on that boat? You think Noah invited him? I think, I think the consistent answer is that the invitation goes out. You can get in Rahab's house. You get on Noah's boat. You can enter into Christ. The door is open until God shuts it. The walls fall down. It's too late to get in Rahab's house. God closes the door on, on Noah's boat. You can't get in Noah's boat. The day of the Lord comes. It's too late to enter into Christ. He's here and judge as judge. So the, the call goes forward. The Lord, your Redeemer. Well, I don't know if you can make that judgment, Jackie. Well, look at verse 9. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn, I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you. God's saying, I made a promise. I'm making a promise. I'm making a promise. Isaiah 53 happens. The purging of sin, that is accomplished. I will not be angry with you. I will not rebuke you. Hey, it's, it's a covering. This is the promise of God. In the same way that I will not flood the earth again, I won't be angry or rebuke you. Verse 10, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. So the whole earth may change, but my steadfast love shall not depart. That's God's chesed. We could spend the rest of our lives studying that concept of what chesed is. The faithful love of God. Always pictured as a love from a superior to an inferior. And always pictured as a love that costs the the higher, the superior something. Always costs him. Just like when the closest thing we get is the is a Greek word agapeo for the agape love of God, the self sacrificing love of God. This has said is God's everlasting, steadfast love. The world may change and mountains fall down, but my steadfast love will not depart. And my covenant, my promise of peace, will not be removed. All of that, look, all of that promise that he's talking about is in the atonement of 53. That's where it exists. Where do you, where do you find a perfect peace but in the peace that Jesus Christ wrought from the cross? Where do you, where do you find this, this steadfast love, this grace of God expressed upon his people but in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Isaiah 53 purges, paves the way for Isaiah 54. Then he goes on to talk to him. O afflicted one. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stone. What's he saying? You're, you're a desolated city now, fallen to the ground, but I'm going to put all the pieces together. I don't know about you, but that's my life before Christ. It is the work of Isaiah 53 that accomplishes the promises of 54. The atonement of Christ that paves the way so that my afflicted, storm-tossed, non-comforted life, the, the, the life in rebellion against God, that's a perfect description of mine. And the fellow I was talking to today, that's a perfect description of his life right now. He'd be the first one to tell you. Perfect description of it. But in the redemption of the Lord, how do I get from here? This was the question he asked me today. How do I get from here 
to there. I don't know how to do it. You have to get into Christ. You have to call on His name. You can't do anything. He has to do it. Doesn't He? He has to do it. He has to do it in me. And when He touches your lips, when He purges your sin, it's like a city rebuilt. No? The pieces start to come together again. Look what he says. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Isn't that the thing we worry about all the time? My kids, my kids' kids, my kids' kids' kids. The Lord says, no, you get into me, you come into me, and then you trust me with them. I love them more than you do. And the difference is, I won't do what God will. I can't. Maybe they need a beating, and I just can't give it to them. But God will do it. Did God move in your life to get you to open your eyes to Him? Did God move in your life to to open your eyes? Did God grant you repentance? Probably through a series of experiences, right, that you'd rather not repeat. That's the mercy of God, man. That's the beauty of, of God loving His people. God will do for my kids what He needs to do. I wouldn't. I'm, I might talk tough, but I'm not that tough. When the sad puppy dog eyes look at me, I just want to take away pain. I don't want to give it. Right? I just want to take away sorrow. I don't want them to experience it. I want them to experience the beauty of and the majesty and the comfort of a relationship with Christ. But I don't know if you get there without going through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know if you get there without experiencing the pain of life. But God God loves my kids enough to, to do that. And so he says, look, your children are going to learn from me. I'll teach them. I'll teach your children. Look at the promise that he gives. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. Great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. You shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear and from terror. For it shall not come near you. Listen to the promises that he's laying out for us. As, as, he, as we look at it, he's laying out this idea of the city being rebuilt, your life being put back together, your children being taught by the Lord and having great peace through the protection of the King of Kings. And then what's he tell us? You have freedom from oppression. I was oppressed. I was in a bondage to sin. The Israel was in bondage to Babylon. They were sl- in slavery Why were they in slavery? Because of their unfaithfulness, because of their unbelief. How does that Israel become this Israel? Isaiah 53. Jesus is the coal that purges the sin. Jesus is the the reconciliation. Jesus is the mediation. Jesus is what changes it all. That work. So I'm free from oppression. I'm free from sin. I don't have to live in sin any longer. I know when I'm living in sin, when I, when I choose to sin, I know I'm failing, but I have the power to say no because the Holy Spirit is with me. He's already told me to stop. No? Every single time I'm thinking A or B, what should I do? I really want to do A, but I know I shouldn't do A. The Holy Spirit is not quiet. He's like, yeah, dude, you shouldn't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then I do it. And then what immediately follows is a conviction of the Lord, right? Hey, and then what am I to do? Confess before the Lord. He purges my sin and calls me, Hey, you've got the power to do better. You're not under oppression. You're not under the oppression anymore. Your freedom from terror, freedom from fear. Why? Because I'm not under the wrath of God. I'm not under the wrath of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 frees me to experience the beauty of Isaiah 54. 
Verse 15, if anyone, like an enemy, if anyone stirs up strife, it's not for me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. He's saying, look, you don't have to be afraid of any armies. You don't have to be afraid of people starting trouble. It's not me. It's not me. Why? Because you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not appointed for wrath. There's not another time God's going to send an army to purge the sin of his people for their unfaithfulness because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has made a way. I don't, I'm not sending an army. If God's wrath comes upon the earth, it will not come on the church, will not come on the faithful. God's wrath will not come. Wrath of man, for sure. You want to experience the wrath of man? Go stand out on the corner of Planned Parenthood. Guaranteed, you'll experience the wrath of man. You'll be told exactly what everybody thinks of you. You don't even have to have a sign. Just go stand there. God doesn't say, I'm going to save you from them. He says, if a man stirs up strife, I didn't send him. That's not, that's not me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. How do they fall because of you? Because you're standing in the might of the Lord. We are more than through Him who... Yeah, man. We're more than conquerors. It doesn't matter what anybody does. It doesn't matter what man says. Why are you afraid of man? You've been set free from fear. You've been set free from terror. You're set free from attack. Look at verse 16. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. And I have created the ravager to destroy. And if we've read through the Old Testament, we've seen both of those. God raising up people for judgment. Verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you will succeed. Why? What's different about Isaiah 54? Isaiah 53. It's the suffering servant. It's the transgression of the people laid upon the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53. That's what's different. So why will no weapon succeed? No weapon will succeed because no weapon fashioned against you you will refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. You're free from, from the fear of weapons. You're free from the accusation of people. Why? In Romans chapter 8, there's, a, there's just a, a beautiful section of Scripture that, that really describes a, a lot of the things that, that, that God's Word is laying out for us here and as we as we consider it you know considering the way the world is and how does this all work here's what Paul would write he said in Isaiah 8:31 well what 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 will we say to these things the the opposition of the world the struggle the fight between good and evil between the believer and the unbeliever that's that's been a constant right from Genesis to Revelation well, what will we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to verse 32, Romans eight thirty-two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Is there something we need beside what he told us about in Isaiah 53? He's given us everything we need. Isaiah 53, that, that scripture, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, the, the gospel poured out for us, that's all we need. He's given us everything. He's given us everything we need. So who will bring a charge? Who, who's going to accuse you? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies if God has declared, the, the word justification is a declaration. If God has declared you right, 
can anyone declare you wrong? No. And it is, the word is the use of a court order. It doesn't mean magically you became a perfect person overnight. You got saved and bloop, you know, you became sunshine and rainbows. No, it's a declaration that God has declared you. God looked at you and declared you. Justified. Because the blood of His Son washes you clean. It's God who justifies. <coughs> who is going to condemn? Who's the judge? It says Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, He was raised and is at the right hand of God. And is indeed interceding for us. So the Son of God is interceding for those who have put their trust in Him. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What will remove you from that situation? Of God's declaration of justification. The freedom of not being condemned under the wrath of God. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Or if I'm in tribulation... If I go through trouble, if I go through a time of crushing, does that mean God doesn't love me? What about distress or persecution? What if I'm hungry, famine, or nakedness, I've lost it all, or I'm in danger, or I'm being threatened by the sword? Does any of those things mean that I've not been justified by God, that I've not been saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ, His Son? Paul saying in Romans 8, no. He says, the scripture says, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. That's the battlefield. But then he says, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How do I know he loved me? He gave himself for me. For I am Persuaded, I am absolutely certain that death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, not powers, not height, not depth, not anything in all of creation can remove me, separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing moves me out. Because of Isaiah 53... We experience the promise of Isaiah 54. And we get the call of Isaiah 55. Ho, come unto me all who are thirsty. The answers that have been being asked in Isaiah are answered in Isaiah 53, 54, 55. Yeah, God has made a way. God has made a way. That's what he does. That's how he moves. That's how he loved Israel. And that's the promise to them and us. Right? Because the invitation went out. Whosoever will come to the wedding feast. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. We'll get to 55 next week. Exciting chapter. Father God, we just thank you for this study that we can look at. God, I pray that we can just really begin to to understand the work that, that you have accomplished. You made a way where there was no way. Cannot save myself. Isaiah could not save himself. Paul could not save himself. Peter, James, John could not save themselves. Lord, you... You saved them. You called them specifically to make a proclamation to the nations in fulfillment of what you told us in the book of Isaiah that that the nation of Israel would become a light unto the Gentiles, to the nations. The light, the declaration of the gospel. The declaration of the gospel is... Our sins have been purged in Christ. We must enter in. We enter in just like Rahab's family did. We enter in because Ephesians chapter 1 tells us we hear the gospel, we believe, and we enter in. We put on Christ.
Lord, your, your word declares this beautifully, Lord. All the failures we see of the Old Testament and the struggles are all the only way to remove those is through Isaiah 53. The suffering servant who paid the price, who made a way. Now the Lord says, here it is. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. So our prayer tonight is that God would grant repentance, open eyes, change hearts, move in lives that would cause men and women to fall on their knees and declare, Lord, I surrender. You are my king. I want to follow you all the days of my life. We want to lay hold of the promises that you have declared. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear. For your love is everlasting and your anger has been satisfied. God, may we come to know the truth and experience the reality that Jesus declared that the truth will set you free. So Lord, we pray, draw us, call us, confirm us, strengthen us, encourage us because the word still needs to go. Our world is perishing around us. So give us the faith that they had 2,000 years ago to stand on the corner and declare Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. May you be glorified as your church hears her calling and responds until we see your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.